It's time for episode 514 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to C, the tech podcast formerly known as Clockwise. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am completely lying about that. It's still Clockwise. Joining me across the internet is my good pal and my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons and Dragons online together. Uh, it is Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Micah. I like the idea of C, though, because like our tagline could be like where we're always 100. Like, oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. see what that played, you did that there. That played great in ancient Rome. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, Christina got it immediately. Uh, speaking of, uh, we have senior developer advocate at GitHub, Christina Warren, aka Film Girl, on the show. Welcome back, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. And to my left this week, we have a host and producer at Twit. It is Jason Howell. Welcome back, Jason. That's great. Good to be back. And I actually have an audience. I've got a puppy running around in the house somewhere oh. that we got a couple of days ago. So my apologies if you hear a yep. <laughs> All answers from a puppy only, please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that would be, that would be, you know what? I, I approve. Um, what I, else I approve of is getting this show underway because we've got four topics in just 30 minutes. So we really got to get going. Um, my question for all of you is, uh, I think a pretty simple one. Uh, when is the last time you used or interacted with an AR experience? Tell us about it and tell us maybe why it's been a long time or a short time since you have used AR in some way. Christina, we'll start with you. Okay, so if we're talking about something um, like a, like Apple's AR kit, where you know I can use the Measure app on my phone to measure something, um, that was a couple of weeks ago when I had to take an online eye exam to get a contact lens prescription updated, like very quickly. Um, so, so I could order some contact lenses. I, I needed to be 10 feet away to do something. And so I, I used the measure app to, to measure, uh, that incidentally, I think is my favorite use of AR because it's really, really good. Um, I have a, a quest Two headset that I bought last summer that I think I last used last summer. <laughs> although I do like, although I do like beat saber, Ouch. like it's, it's, there's nothing like, there's nothing wrong with the device. I just have too many toys. So yeah, it's been a while. And then I guess if we're talking like true, like real, like AR, like headset thing where it's it's genuine pass through. Um, I used a HoloLens two, three years ago. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that I think uh, Christine actually took mine, which was the Measure app. Like I think I used that a few weeks ago as well, just to check like the height of a ceiling in a in a room in my house or something. But. I don't have any headsets, so I haven't really spent any time with augmented reality experiences beyond those on the phone and the iPad. And those have been always kind of novelty experiences for the most part, but not ones that I really find myself coming back to. I'm sure I played a game. Maybe I tried out the Pokemon Go with the AR experience at one point, but it really has not been something that I found myself doing very often. So the problem with AR on the phone has always been it's like peering through a window right? Where you you get to see all the AR experience, but it's contained in this little phone. But what you want is like a door you can walk through into the different world and actually be immersed in it. But the phone has always felt like it's not the ultimate form. We always knew that. And so I think that's why the AR experiences on the form phone had always been a little bit lackluster. Jason, what about you? 
Um, there's actually an AR feature in Google Maps that I love called Live mm. View, and it doesn't oh, yeah. get it doesn't get constant use. It's not something I use all the time, but those times where I'm like, shoot, which direction do I need to be looking? Where is it? I pull that thing up, and it almost always I'm happy that it's there because it's like, okay, this is the visualization I need. It's right around that corner. That's where I'm going. So that's and I don't know the last time I I use that, but I do use it from time to time, and I actually love it. Outside of that, not much AR in my life, to be honest. I was going to say the Apple Maps also has a feature like that, which I did use as a test recently. But hey, yeah, stop. It's very That's cool. mine. <laughs> Sorry, I stole Micah's. Take me out. I'm done. No, it's it's fine. No, I, I was going to say, Jason, I was ready to be all smug because this whole question was kind of about me being a little bit smug because I had not used AR in so long. And I thought, I bet other people haven't either. But then you said what you said. And I have to be honest. Yeah, I was in uh, Portland um, a few weeks ago, I think now. And uh, while I was there at one point I was navigating and the phone was going buildings in the way I can't figure this out uh, and it's like hold up your phone and I did and it helped me figure out what street I needed to uh, or uh, you know in what direction I needed to, needed to turn on which street uh, and so that was very handy so yeah that was an AR experience that I had that was enjoyable uh, worked as I expected but you know, the future is AR, or so they say. So we'll or so see. they keep saying. Yeah, they just keep trying, <laughs> trying to do it. Um, let us move along to our next topic, which comes from Christina. This week, uh, Meta has uh, removed links, uh, news links from um, its platforms in, uh, appearing in Canada. So if you are a Canadian user and you um, try to add a, a news link to Instagram or Facebook, uh, you're not allowed. And if you are trying to view um, a, a news link from an international um, you know, somebody that you follow from, from from another country, you cannot access them. This is in response to the Online News Act, also known as C-18, which was legislation that was passed in Canada last month, which basically uh, essentially means that um, tech companies will need to pay news organizations a tax every time there is a link to one of their their stories on the internet. So I, I think my, my question for all of you, especially since we all like work in, in media, media adjacent things is, should companies have to pay to link to things? Yeah, this is a fascinating issue, and it's a really complex one, because I think the intent of this is good. I mean, we've all seen the impact on journalism in recent years with lots of newsrooms closing and, you know, just generally having trouble sort of monetizing journalism, which is a little scary because it's really important. That said, the implementation of this particular bill strikes me as very problematic because it's extremely difficult not only to put into practice, but also just it, it is something that flies in the face of the fundamental sort of openness on which the web is based, the idea that you can link to anything at any time freely, which I think is a great thing and is part of what really has made the internet so successful. But I also feel like companies, giant companies like Meta and Google are to a certain degree taking a lot um, of content from these content providers, from these news uh, sources, and kind of, you know, using them for their own purposes without, in many cases, providing a an adequate amount of recompense. So I, mean, I know there are deals, right? They make deals with different news organizations and all that. But it's hard to argue that they don't have a huge advantage because they are sort of the 800-pound gorillas in this scenario. So 
I think, you know, as we were discussing a little bit before the show, Australia did something similar and they came to an agreement eventually with some of the parties involved. It seems like maybe it's past that point for Canada, but, uh, you know, it's never too late for that to be renegotiated. I hope there is some way of sort of Google and Meta and other large companies sharing the wealth with news organizations. But I think this is going to be super difficult to put into place. Jason, what do you think? I do like that you differentiated, Dan, between uh, like posting a link to a story and then integrating the details from that story into your own products. Cause maybe, the, you know, in my mind, there is a little bit of a differentiation there. There, you know, the difference between going onto a search engine and doing a search for a news story and linking to, I see that as a net positive for a news organization that gives them the ability to get exposure, new potential visitor of the site. But when Google starts taking that information and creating other content out of it and not compensating for that, that gets a little sketchy there. Um, but I don't know. I don't think that this is the right approach. I think this actually does more damage than good because Google, you know, that traffic's just going to end up disappearing. And I don't envision that being a net gain for any news mm -hmm. site. To suggest that anyone posting a link on a website should result in funds being given to that website as you know, a, a website creator, that sounds great, but it's just, I just don't, that seems untenable. It seems ridiculous. And I'm not surprised to hear about the blocking of news. And I think ultimately that's the biggest issue here is, you know, we've, we've always heard this in all of those, uh, psychology speak TikToks. It's not the intent, it's the impact. And the impact here is that there's going to be less access to news, which if it's coming on Facebook, probably better for the world, honestly. So maybe I should cheer this on. <laughs> but um, outside of that, it's like, do we want to limit people's access to information? I don't know if that's a good thing. Christina, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think that there were good intentions with this. I, I, I think the implementation is completely insane, to be completely candid. I think that the charging uh, attacks for, for links is is wrong. But I do worry, you know, for the people um frankly, for the journalists in Canada about mm -hmm. how their news is going to get out when you cannot share it on platforms. I have to imagine that many of the journalists there are, are very angry, probably more at, at the tech companies than at their own government, which I personally you know, think is a little misguided. But I'm sure that they're very frustrated right now at not being able to get their work out. And I do think that this opens up interesting implications for what this means for how news is spread um, uh, outright. But fundamentally, linking, I think, is such a fundamental part of the open web. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me that as much as, as Facebook and other companies have, I think, rightly been criticized for trying to uh, create their own closed, you know, walled gardens of the web, it is government that is actually trying to enact the things that, that make that a reality. Well, with that, folks, we have reached halftime here at Clockwise, and I'm excited to tell you about our sponsor today. It's Memberful. Sometimes taking a risk... Uh, is It's a terrifying thing, but it's the move you need to get to where you want to be. Perhaps you've told yourself you're ready to monetize the work that you're so passionate about. You're going, you know what? I keep hearing people saying, you know, you should you should do a business out of this. And, and you're, you know, you, you put it off, you put it off. And now you're going, no, I think it's time. And now there's not an excuse because you can use Memberful. It makes building a membership business very 
easy. Memberful has everything you need to run a membership program, including a streamlined and powerful checkout, an easy-to-use member portal, transactional emails, and a member management dashboard. Being able to have to, and to offer a, a membership here for Clockwise helps to keep the show going, helps us to uh, continue to create great things. Uh, I also uh, host podcasts over on the Twit Network, and we use Memberful as the system uh, for our memberships. And it has made a huge difference. It has had a huge impact uh, for us at Twit as well. Memberful lets you build the membership that's best suited to your audience. It's got custom branding, newsletters, podcasts, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free and paid trials, automatic referral discounts, and so much more. You can add analytics to give you an easy-to-use, in-depth view of what's working, what's not, and where to double down. Uh, Memberful seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use if you're using MailChimp or WordPress, or Stripe or Discord, and so many more. If you need them, you can contact their world-class support team that's ready to help you simplify your memberships and grow your revenue. And they're passionate about your success, so you'll always have access to a real human. Go and check it out right now to see if it could work for you. You can get started with no credit card required. You just go to memberful.com slash clockwise. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show. All right, we are back from the break, and that means it's time for Dan's Topic. So it is August. Check my calendar. It's August. Great. Uh, which means next month, of course, is new iPhone month, just a few weeks away. Um, this year's iPhone 15 is rumored to have some thinner bezels and perhaps even a configurable action button and maybe some other stuff where it's unclear. I'm, my question for you is, has the smartphone after nearly two decades reached a fully incremental phase in its evolution or are there still big revolutions yet to be had? Jason, what do you think? Uh, do things feel very incremental right now? Yes, no question. Absolutely. Feeling it pretty, pretty hard. At the same time, there's always some sort of revolution waiting to be discovered. We just don't know what it is because if we did, we'd be there already. And that's how innovation works. So, <laughs> so I think that, you know, are we going to be using the same type of phone a hundred years from now, or are we going to be using a phone at all in, you know, any way, shape or form that's similar to what we're using right now to communicate with each other? I don't actually believe that we will. That tells me that there is innovation somewhere out there. It just hasn't been discovered yet, but things definitely feel very like iterative and incremental right now. That's just the way things are. One place I'd love to see uh, innovation or uh, even evolution rather is in battery. Um, you know, we've been using the same battery tech for such a long time now, and it would be super cool to see uh, that change for sure. I, I still think that this slab of, of glass and metal or plastic is there, there's still more to be done here. It, it, it'll be interesting to see how much our rushing along to what's possible and what's next collides with that and whether we will stay in this this sort of um, special uh, form factor going forward. Uh, Christina, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that at this point for like the the slab form factor that we have now, I, I do think that we're just kind of at the iteration point. There's only so much more you can do. I think Apple even basically admitted as much when I guess what was it? The iPhone 12 was essentially a, a refactor of, of the iPhone 5, which I think we can all kind of agree is sort of peak design for a phone. And and so I, I think that from a form factor perspective, if you're thinking about a slab, there's not much more you can do because if you add a bigger camera that increases, you know, bezels and there's limited, you know, room for the sensors, you have constraints with with battery to be able to power these things and screen sizes, and we have limitations right now with battery technology. Chips, uh, at least you know, from Apple's perspective, they're so far ahead of, of everyone else that it does a little bit feel like, okay, this is just iterative stuff. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why companies are freaking out a little bit because people don't upgrade their phones every you know two years. Now it's every three or, or even every four. Uh, but I do, I think I agree with Jason. Like, I think that there are things on the horizon, uh, whether it's new form factors, uh, foldables is obviously one of them. I think that everybody's kind of looking for what the next big inflection point and interaction point is going to be uh, with our devices. And I think that at this stage of where we are with smartphones, we're definitely at that iterative point, but I don't expect it to be like this forever. I feel like I'm more bullish on the idea of foldable phones than a lot of people, and not necessarily because of the ones we're seeing coming out right now, but because of the the idea of it is one that has merit to me. And it's, you know, the the mistake with a lot of technology when people are sort of poo-pooing things is assuming that stuff will always be in the future what it is now, right? And I don't think the foldable phones that we're seeing now are necessarily the foldable phones we'll see five or ten years from now even. That said, I mean, there are plenty of other things on the horizon, you know, certainly much talk of augmented reality, other wearables, stuff like that, that may disrupt what we think of as the traditional smartphone market overall. But for the moment, it seems like the smartphone's doing just fine and trucking along. So, you know, it may be more incremental in its evolution, but people are still ponying up for a better phone, even if it is every few years instead of every year. So we can all learn to love our incremental lifestyle. Uh, Thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Jason. All right. Hallucinations. Not those kind of hallucinations. I'm talking about the hallucinations with artificial intelligence, because some experts are predicting that the hallucination in AI, which is when an AI just kind of goes off the rails and starts saying things that are actually untrue, that that is a problem that will never truly entirely go away with modern AI. Is that, this is my question, is that a critical deal breaker in the long run for modern AI? Micah, what do you think? I I do use ChatGPT uh, fairly regularly. Um, I use it to solve different problems that I might have in coding or sort of conceptualizing I've talked to you before, Jason, about how I've used it for uh, generating like keyword metadata Mm -hmm. tags. And I have figured out a way to interact with it and, and come up with answers that are helpful. However... There are times where I have used it kind of like uh, Microsoft sees it being used as a search engine. And I find myself when I am doing so, never, ever, ever trusting the response that I get, the, you know, the, the final result that I get. And that fundamentally means that over time, as I've, I've you know, done that a few times and I catch myself uh, going, I don't even trust this result and I'm going to go do the research myself, I, I've, I've 
realize that I just have slowly but surely stopped using it at all for anything like that, where I'm trying to get uh, an answer to a question. And so what that boils down to is I don't trust it. And I think that if it's always going to have these quote unquote hallucinations, if it's always going to have the capability in a, in a perfect world, the system that you're using to get an answer is going to give you an answer that is the truth, right? So, and, and they want it to give you the answer that is the truth unless you ask it to give you the answer that is, uh, that is not the truth. And so because of that, we can all agree that it is trying to give you an answer that is the truth because that's what it's supposed to be doing even when it unintentionally gives you an answer uh, that is false. You know, that's enough for many people to go, well, I'm not going to use it then. <laughs> if, if, if it can't answer my question and answer it with an answer that is the truth, I can't make use of this system. And so I think you have that on one hand. And then on the other hand, the hallucinations are a problem and a deal breaker because there will be folks who aren't aware of the fact that it might give you a fake answer. And you can put as much uh, text beforehand and, and, and you know, a fine, uh, fine copy and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. Some folks aren't going to pay attention to that. So maybe it is a deal breaker is what I'm saying. I certainly hope there's some way that that can be solved if it's a matter of education for folks or or what. I don't know. But yeah. Um, Christina, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think about this a lot because this is uh, an area that I um, kind of work around, especially around education, around the stuff. Um, uh, Disclosure, the company I work for, GitHub, has a partnership with OpenAI, and we have a product called GitHub Copilot, which I, I use all the time. And, and I also do use ChatGPT, but I do worry about these hallucinations. And I don't know if it's a deal breaker because... Uh, to your point, Mike, I do think that when you have a wrong or bad experience, it's sort of like with Siri. Siri was mm-hmm. bad so often that we just don't use it. And mm-hmm. even if it improves, even if it's better now, we might not know about it. And it's not, incidentally. I- I've tried it recently. It's still not good. But but like even if something improves over time, are you going to give it a shot again? It's it's really hard to um, you know uh, make a, a, a second impression if, if your bad one, if your first one was bad. Uh, but I think that the bigger concern here is that like AI is right a lot of the time. And, and and so you kind of get lulled into this, you know, sense of security. And so that's my bigger concern is that people might not recognize when there's a hallucination, uh, which incidentally, AI people hate that term, but uh, when there are these, you know, incorrect kind of statements coming out and um, uh, when things are accurate. I think that a lot of this has to go around education. And I think that we have to start seeing this and framing this as not a replacement, but as an additive thing. This is not going to replace what you would use in place of something else, but this will be additive. So rather than necessarily being the thing that you use instead of search, it's something that can aid to search, you know, and and I think if we frame it that way, then maybe I don't think it's a deal breaker because it could still have a lot of benefits. But I think we have to take it on with that lens that is, you know, these things are not um, sentient yet. Um, You know, they they haven't passed the Turing test, um, so to speak. We're not at the level of of general artificial intelligence. And so all this really is, is is very um, well done, predictive, autocomplete. And that means that there are going to be things that are incorrect out of that. And so I think if we understand that and we think about, okay, but what can we use these systems for to still help us out, then I don't think it's a deal breaker if it's wrong sometimes. But I, I think it, it does become a big problem if people become reliant on these systems and don't take into account that many times the, the information they get back is not going to be correct. It's 
interesting, right? Because I feel like there are lots of other places in technology where think about how it would affect it, right? Like if you plugged your route into Google Maps and sometimes it just like made up roads for you to go on, you'd be pretty annoyed. Um, and so, you know, accuracy is a big part of technology, no question. I think that it's interesting because AI has so many implications to us, even just the version of AI that we're seeing now with things like ChatGPT. And it depends what you're using them for. I mean, things like art and ChatGPT, where you can sort of use it to create text. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with just the the base usage of it. But hooking it up to things where you are expecting truth or some degree of fact, I mean, it doesn't understand that, right? It doesn't know what's true and what's not true. Uh, and so it's not a replacement necessarily in those scenarios. But I mean, what it does do as a methodology is allows you to interact with things in a much more natural way, uh, as if you are talking to a person. And that has a lot of strength to it. I mean, you know, Christina mentioned Siri, and I'm a dogged user of Siri, even though I fully admit it is <laughs> real hit or miss, uh, and mostly miss. But the idea of being able to have at least a front end that interacts with something, um, you know, in a manner that's easier to get by like, you know, being able to reference things that previously happened in a conversation, right? Siri does no idea. You know, you could ask Siri what you were talking about uh, 30 seconds ago, and it's like a goldfish. It just doesn't remember. So having something that actually understands context and remembers things, past interactions, whatever, there's a lot of strength and power to that. Is that offset all the problems it has? No, I don't think it does. I don't think it makes up for necessarily the problems with hallucinations. But, you know, to, to Christine's point as well, like knowing what you're getting going in is real important to the way you use a tool and it doesn't abrogate your responsibility in terms of being able to like you know fact check things or make sure that code runs and doesn't have any security problems right like you still have to have a human element to it right now uh will that change in the future i think it's possible but you know i think it's a ways off i don't think it's necessarily around the corner in the way that so many people seem to be sort of salivating at right now so uh, I, I think it's best with as with so much technological advancement to be taken with a grain of salt jason why don't you wrap this up for us yeah, I mean, I agree with everything y'all have said. It's like you reached into my brain and pulled out words. I think what this stresses is that that human element will remain that important piece of the puzzle along the way. Because so much is talked about AI replacing humans and, you know, people putting people out of jobs and all these things that remove the human in this, in these scenarios from whatever that situation is that this technology is being used. And I think all this does is this stresses the importance of the human interaction within the tool. And so there will always be humans, you know, that are integrated into these systems. This will keep them employed, in other words, because they will need to be the ones that the AI is not the end game. The AI is the tool that gets them to the next place, possibly easier, possibly faster, possibly better in some ways. But that human is always going to be on the other side uh, hopefully anyways kind of the the final the final step in the journey all righty folks um we have just about reached the end of this episode of clockwise uh so we will have a bonus topic but i do want to remind you that we have shirts the clockwise tea available at clockwise.social slash shirt. Uh, when you head there, you will see the option to buy the tee, the sweatshirt, the tank, or the onesie uh, in blue and green, yellow, red, or gray. Uh, it has a great clockwise logo on it with a stopwatch, and it is just 
such a comfortable shirt. So consider purchasing a clockwise tee at clockwise.social slash shirt. Alrighty, folks, it's time for the bonus topic. My question for you, what is the best dessert you've ever eaten? And when I'm asking this, I'm not asking for like a category of dessert. I'm asking for like a specific time that you had a dessert and you went, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever had. Christina, we'll start with you. My mom makes this uh, brownie pie that is the it is the best thing that you've ever had. It's like a double fudge like brownie pie. I, it's hard to describe um, other than that, but it's 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 amazing. And um, that with ice cream, uh, even though I'm lactose intolerant, is the best thing I've ever had. I'm going to challenge you, Christina, because my mom makes a great chocolate cake. <laughs> this is all going to be what our moms make, right? My mom makes a great chocolate cake with chocolate frosting, which is my all-time favorite dessert. Uh, and uh, I, I consider myself lucky I still manage to get like a birthday cake out of her <laughs> once a year. <laughs> Love it. A couple of years ago, my uh, older daughter made me for Father's Day a chocolate cream pie. And uh, she was 11 at the time. And this was during the pandemic. And it was phenomenal. And then the next day we hit the road, my first time ever driving an RV somewhere to go camping. We had the rest of the chocolate cream pie in the RV. Oh, no. I almost uh, drove the R- the uh, the trailer, the pull behind trailer off the road. Oh, no. And when I did, um, when we finally got into the trailer, when we got to our destination and opened it up, that chocolate cream pie was everywhere inside. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. I know. But we got to eat half of it the day before on Father's Day. And it was delightful. <laughs> Um, I remember way back in high school, I was invited to a friend's birthday party and my friend had like every allergy in the book, but she was, she had celiac disease. So like particularly gluten-free. Um, and so I remember, um, it wasn't even me cause I just was not really thinking about it, but I think it was like my mom. She's like, I wonder what she's going to do for dessert. Um, and we get there, you know, we're hanging out or whatever. And then her mom, uh, so it wasn't my mom. It was her mom brings out a homemade gluten-free German chocolate cake. And I remember Mm. having a piece of that German chocolate cake and it brought me to tears. It was just, I can't even describe. Um, I really like German chocolate cake in the first place. And that was the best, most moist, most wonderful, most incredible uh, dessert I've ever had. Um, All righty, folks. Well, uh, one more thing for you. If you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. You just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up. It's just $5 a month or $50 a year. And in doing so, you will help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we discuss device-free vacations. And with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. All that's left is to thank our incredible guests, Christina Warren. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. And Jason Howell, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And Michael will be back next week. But until then, we remind everyone listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.